Before we get to the text this morning, did you ever take anything for granted? It's a silly question, right? We've all taken things for granted before. I'm going to give you my top 10 list of things that we take for granted, okay? Top 10 list of things that we take for granted, at least I do. See if you can uh, associate with this. So I have categories, categories of things we take for granted. The first thing I thought about was body parts, okay? Thumbs. Thumbs. We take thumbs for granted. We do. In fact, I don't want anybody to hurt themselves, but try to pick up something right now without your thumb. Try to pick up your coffee. <laughs> okay, Chris. All right. Could you do coffee that way? Would you do a hot cup of coffee that way without your thumb? Did you do it? Okay. <laughs> so it is possible. But we take thumbs for granted. We also take eyelashes for granted. Um, eyelashes keep things from getting into your eye. And ironically, sometimes you'll get an eyelash in your eye. But uh, eyelashes keep things out of your eye. That's pretty important, right? Uh, big toes. Big toes. Now, I've never had to walk without a big toe, so I don't know what that's like. But I can imagine it would be pretty difficult. So body parts. Sometimes we take those for granted. How about senses? What's a sense? Smell. smell. You think we take smell for granted? Taste. I would say hearing and seeing are probably number two, right? Hearing and seeing, I don't know which one is more important, but we take those for granted. Without hearing and seeing, life is a much, much more difficult. Uh, number eight, how about a home convenience? Can you think of a home convenience that we take for granted? Refrigerator. Refrigerator, yeah, absolutely. TV. What else? TV. Heating? TV. TV? Television. Oh, yeah. We'll probably take that for granted. What's that? Running water is what I thought of. Thank you. Yes, running water and indoor plumbing. Now, I don't want to get too graphic, but if you didn't have those two things, your life would be greatly reduced. Indoor plumbing and running water. Even the running water thing. Imagine trying to take a shower or do some dishes and having to go to the creek or the river and bring some water. That'd be annoying every single time. We take those for granted. How about number seven, inventions? Do we take any inventions for granted? Like what? Cars, that's on my list. Cars, imagine not having a vehicle. Getting to work, getting to church, getting to the store would be very, very difficult. How about cell phones? As much as sometimes they bring evil into our world as well, they're very convenient, right? Without a cell phone, I don't really know what life is like without a cell phone anymore, you know? It's so easy to call and text my wife, just any thought that comes into my mind. How about this one? This one's very specific. Weather protection tools. Weather protection tools. Roofs? Windshields? You guys ever drive without a windshield? <laughs> what would that be like? The wind, the bugs flying into your face? We take those things, kind of things for granted. Keep the weather out of our face. How about number five, health? We take that one for granted all the time. Mine is very, very specific to myself, and some of you guys struggle with this one as well, is a healthy back. Probably a little over a year ago, I threw my back out, and that was one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had because everything is effective negatively if you don't have a healthy back. Everything is hard. So I, I generally now thank the Lord for a healthy back, where before I took that for granted. How about number four? Any simple pleasures we take for granted? Some of you have this on your table right now. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> Dan and I were talking how, how nice it is to have a Dunkin' right across the street. But what if we didn't, Dan? What if we had to drive or... Get some lower-tier coffee. We take coffee for granted, right? Uh, I say humor. We take humor for granted. Now, humor, again, is one of those things that can go bad, but I enjoy humor. And I think a well-placed humor, like hopefully today, is 
is a good thing. We take humor for granted sometimes. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. Uh, how about this one? This one's very specific. A law of physics. Gravity? Anybody? Does anyone thank the Lord for gravity? Is that on your prayer list this past week? Thank you, Lord, that I have a law that keeps me tethered to the earth, and I don't have to hold on to something or fling off into space. Thank the Lord for gravity. Air? Oxygen? Yeah, that's a big one. Where would we be without that? Number two, any relationships we take for granted? Now, I mentioned in three weeks we're going to have a Mother's Day celebration and brunch. I think we take moms and wives for granted. At least I know I do. Where would we be without moms and wives? We would be nowhere good. So thank you for those two groups of people, moms and wives and dads, of course. Yeah, you're okay, too. Uh, number one, body function. And this one's very pertinent to my family right now, sleep. Now, sleep, we take sleep for granted. And you know you take it for granted because every time you don't get sleep, you realize how valuable it is to get sleep. And that's kind of where Janine and I are right now, more Janine than me. But we're struggling to get sleep these nights. And so sleep is something you take for granted. When you have it, you are thankful for it. And number, number one, I guess this is an extra one, the church. I believe we take the church for granted. And today's spirit, the spirit of the lesson is going to be all about that, is seeking to not take the church for granted anymore. As we title our lesson today, Brought Near. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, or you could follow along on the screen. Listen to the Word of God. Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're hoping today that if you're still with us, that you've decided to be all in for Jesus. That's the hope. That's the goal. That if you're still here, you've decided to be all in for Jesus. But I need you to remember that being all in is much more than just coming to church. It's much more than hearing some sermons preached or singing some songs together or eating a brunch together. We have a very low bar of Christianity here in America, unfortunately. We need to remember that it requires everything of us and 
give everything we have and everything we are to the Lord Jesus Christ. He demands everything. He deserves everything. And we've gone over that already. If you missed any of those lessons from our series All In, please find them on our website, wyomingvalleychurch.org, and you can listen to those, those series, that series and be reminded about what it means to actually follow Jesus. Because in a nutshell, following Jesus demands all of us. It demands all of us. And God and Jesus is not coy about that. But today we start our new series called Our Family. Our Family. And we want this new series to have the feel of a pep rally. You will learn some new things along the way, to be sure. But we've planned this series to be high on encouragement because the last series was high on conviction. And we simply want to use this series to highlight some of the amazing blessings that we receive from the Lord for being all in for Jesus, namely through the church. So this is why we've titled this series, Our Family. Because the blessings we proclaim through this series are given to us because number one, we're all in for Jesus, and number two, we're all in for his church. Both of these topics we've gone over very specifically and very clearly, and we're hoping that you're on the same page with us by now. Because we cannot be Christians without a commitment to Jesus and a commitment to his church. We cannot be Christians without a commitment to Jesus and a commitment to his church. It can't happen. So no matter what the world or what America tells you, the Bible says the other side. We cannot be Christians without committing ourselves to Jesus and his church. But today we're calling our lesson, Brought Near. To highlight a few things, a few blessings we receive from being committed to the church. Our focus today is being brought near by the blood of Jesus. Brought near by the blood of Jesus. Church, and I don't use this term flippantly, you are the church of Jesus Christ. You are his bride. He loves you like the best husband that ever existed loves his bride. The term church that we use today has lost its glory. But the term church means people who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. People that were once far off from Jesus have now been brought near to that Jesus. His bride, his church, is now together with him. And one day we will be physically, spiritually, in every other sense. Now my bride, Janine, and I, we were once far off from each other. She grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we were far off from each other. But then I moved to Michigan, and Janine and I got married, and we were brought together. But you see, distance is not what made us far off from Jesus. It was sin. Sin is what made us far off from our Lord. I want you to notice Paul's phrasing in the passage. He says this. He says, remember. Remember. That's important for Christians to do. Remember that at that time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. He says again, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember, remember at one time that was your resume. In order to encourage us, Paul has to remind us what we used to be, outcasts, outcasts. In fact, the term losers wouldn't be too harsh. Losers, 
In fact, the word Gentiles that he uses actually means unloved. It means filthy. It even means dogs. Not in the good term either. He says we were all at one time Gentiles. Now, every single person in this room, I believe, is a natural Gentile. You are not a Jew. You're a Gentile. You're a sinner by nature. Every single person who lived started that way. Even actual Jews. They started as spiritual Gentiles. And Paul is not trying to insult us here. On the contrary, he's actually trying to encourage us by revealing to us the change that has taken place in our lives purely because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. That's what he's trying to do. And I want us to take very quickly a look at our previous resume listed in this one verse. Okay, let's just work through the bullet points very quickly. And remember, let's do what Paul said. Let's remember what we were for a time. We're not going to end there because that's not the end of our story. But this is our spiritual resume or was our spiritual resume in our life. Listen to what he says. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. Our creator and our Lord for a time was not with us. We were not with him. He did not call us his. See, Jesus, according to John 15, is the true vine and we are the branches. And at one time, we were dead, disconnected branches. We were lying on the ground absolutely fruitless. And we were waiting to be gathered, to be thrown into the fire for all of eternity. That's where we were for a time. We once had no Savior and no life giver. That's a sad reality, isn't it? But that was our reality. It used to be our reality. We were separated from Christ. He goes on to say that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were aliens. Aliens is another unflattering term. Uh, generally speaking, when someone is called an alien, they're a foreigner. They're generally unwanted. Uh, my sister says that in Germany, Americans are generally unwanted. <laughs> so be warned if you ever go to Germany, you're generally unwanted. Um, because you're an alien, you're a foreigner. Now, Israel here can refer to the actual nation of Israel, but I believe Paul has something different in mind here. I believe he's referring to the spiritual Israel, the kingdom of God. Our names, for a time, were not in the registry of the spiritual Israel, which means we actually belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Our ruler and our Lord was Satan himself. Heaven was not our home. We were outsiders to everything good about our God. Outsiders, strangers, aliens, separated aliens. He says you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers. Are you getting the picture here? This time we were strangers to God's promises. Strangers to his promises. We didn't know God's love and God's love didn't know us. We had no destiny to speak of and nothing to look forward to. Whatever we had in our possession here upon the earth was all that we had. And when we died and when we passed on, we'd be buried in the ground only to rise again to judgment and eternal punishment because we had no salvation. We had no forgiveness. We had no covenant promises with the Lord waiting for us on the other side. We were separated. We were aliens. And we were strangers. He says, having no hope. Having no hope. 
As hard as these truths are to hear, they made us utterly hopeless. Without God, without his love, we might as well die because we have no purpose whatsoever. If we lived, nobody cared. Nobody important. If we died, nobody cared. When our bodies died, they rotted in the ground and they rose to judgment and condemnation. We were nobodies. We had no hope and no purpose. Every single day we lived, we, we crept closer and closer to death and destruction. And closer and closer to being forgotten for all eternity. We had no hope before Jesus came to us. And Paul says, remember, remember, you had no hope for a time. And then he says this, you were without God in the world. Not only did we have no family, no hope, and no future to look forward to, but we also had no God watching over us in this world. Whatever happened to us in this life, we were entirely and utterly alone. Now think about that. No one was fighting for us. No one was protecting us. No one was providing for us. And we had no one to call out to in the midst of trouble. Now that's the world's reality right now, and that's terrifying. They have no God to call out to. God was not our father. He was our practical enemy. Twice, Paul brings up the word hostility in this passage. God was our enemy. Guys, our lives could not have been worse for a time. For a time. We were without God. Without Jesus. That was our spiritual resume. And I do emphasize was. We're going to turn the page here. But what a miserable existence we had before Jesus came into our lives. Do we take this for granted? Have we forgotten what a miserable existence we had before Jesus? Where we were before Jesus came into our souls? I want you to take time and remember. Because what we're going to experience today is, is what I'm going to call the Mr. Darcy effect. If you guys have ever seen the movie Pride and Prejudice, I told Janine the only reason that movie has any romance at all is because Mr. P- Mr. Darcy is such a putz at the beginning of that movie. If it is a normal guy acting like a normal guy at the beginning, there, there's no romance in that movie at all. The only thing that is romantic about that movie is the change that Mr. Darcy makes. It's the same thing in A Christmas Carol. The only reason I like that movie and people like that movie is because of the change that Ebenezer Scrooge makes. Aren't you glad that the end of verse 12 is not the end of our stories? Aren't you glad? Because that would be depressing. That would be absolutely depressing to think about. However... Some of the sweetest words in the entire scriptures follows our spiritual resume right after that. In verse 13, Paul says, but now. And this is where the story takes a dramatic turn. This, what we're going to read and study from this point on, is like a cold drink coming to a, a desert wanderer after several days. Thanks to Jesus Christ, that period there in verse 12 is not the end of our stories. There's a but now. And I'm so thankful for that, and I know you are as well. Listen to the entire verse. He says, but now, in Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want this truth to roll over you and wrap you up like a warm blanket today, because that's the point. A poor destitute, drifting, aimless, hopeless, and homeless sinner has met the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. And this Jesus had something to offer you. 
He came to you without judgment. And instead, he offered you life with him. He offered you hope. He offered you a home in heaven forever. He offered you an inheritance, his inheritance. He offered you a family, his family. He offered you promises which can never be broken. He offered you protection, provision, and purpose in your life upon the earth. Now imagine for a moment, what do you owe this Jesus? What do you owe him for all that he's given you? Because you said yes to accepting those gifts, albeit sheepishly and undeservingly, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, if you remember the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, remember that parable? The Good Samaritan take, came near the wounded Jew and he took care of the wounded Jew. He took him to a hotel, he took care of his ailments. He took care of the wounded Jew. But in our story, the Good Samaritan takes care of the wounded Gentile. And then he adopts him into his family to receive his protection, his riches, and his care for the rest of eternity. Now, that, is that going the extra mile? That is. Our Good Samaritan is now our loving Lord and Father. It takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? The sinner who's in Jesus is not a Gentile anymore, but an adopted Jew, carrying the name of Jesus upon their life. They're an heir of the kingdom of heaven and a child of God. And this is all because the blood of Jesus Christ dripped out of his precious hands, feet, head, and side on the cross. That's why. Now, there's a lot we could pull from this passage, but we don't have the time to do that today. And I would encourage you to study this on your own because there's a few amazing treasures from this passage that we're not going to look at today. For the sake of our study, we're going to bump down to verse 18. Verse 18, where Paul says this. He says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We finish our study today by considering what it means that we have been brought near. What does that mean? Why is that significant that we've been brought near Paul says, you've been given access. You've been given access, or keys, or an entry card. You have, Gentile, sinner, have been given access to the family and the kingdom of God. We take that for granted. We take that for granted. We have access to the kingdom and family of God. This needs to feel special to us once again. We were not supposed to be here. God, in a sense, is saying, mi casa es su casa. My home is your home. We were outsiders. We were aliens. We were strangers. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. That's what the word hostility means. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. That means there was once hostility between you and God. Think about that. Hostility between God and you. You see, adoption, it's special. I don't know if any of you have adopted anyone or been adopted, but it's special. It's not the norm. 
Adoption is not the norm. When someone adopts someone into their family that isn't theirs naturally, that is a high and deep form of love. But God didn't just adopt a neglected and rejected child that nobody wanted. He adopted his enemy. He adopted his enemy. We were on the devil's team, and we wanted it that way. We liked it that way. We were doing the devil's work. We had a mindset to hurting God and his kingdom. And you know what? Even Paul was. Even Paul did. Paul was on the devil's team persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. Now, can you get more enemy than that? Paul was God's practical enemy. Paul calls us Gentiles and strangers and aliens, so it sinks into our brain that God was once our enemy. Now, I want you to imagine if during the days of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, if a persecuted Jewish family adopted the child of Adolf Hitler and gave that child their complete and entire love, the very same love that they gave their own children. Would that be a shocking story? Not only are you adopting a child into your family that belongs to someone else, but you're adopting the child of your practical enemy. If someone made such a tale, that would be a romantic, fictional story. But this is our reality. This is truth. This isn't fictional. This actually happened. God adopted his enemy into his family and gave us total access to the kingdom of God. The one we abused, the God we abused and lived against our entire lives, he spilled the blood of his only natural begotten son so that he could adopt you into his family and his glorious kingdom. This fact right here is what made Saul of Tarsus into the Apostle Paul. That right there. Not only was he not condemned, that would have been enough, but he was adopted into the family of God. Saul, you are now Paul and you are now mine. And the kingdom is now yours. And Paul changed. That was enough. Thanks to the precious blood of Jesus, God has now become our loving, adoring, doting Father. And this isn't normal. It's become normal, but it's not normal. We become too used to these truths. We take them for granted. Guys, this is special. God wanted us when he should have cast us away forever in the lake of fire for doing unspeakable things, things that God detests. But not only is God our Father if we have given our lives to Jesus, but he's invited us into the family of God. I don't know if you guys like this sort of thing. But the media loves talking about the royal family in England, don't they? They love talking about the royals. The royals did this. The royals did that. The royals got married. The royals got divorced. The royals had a baby. The royals went to this sporting event. They went to this movie. They like the same ice cream that we do. They get sick from eating Taco Bell, just like we do. The royals aren't perfect. The royals got upset with the other royals, and the royals died. Yada, yada, yada. I asked my wife the other day, I said, why do we care about the royal family? I said that. I said, why do we care about the royal family? And she said something like, well, you don't, but the rest of the world does because they're royalty. Dummy? No, she didn't say that. I added that part for dramatic effect. But the world cares about the royal family in England because there's something special and unique and romantic about being royalty. 
But the royal family in England, unfortunately, is just as messed up as everybody else is. Maybe worse. Watch the news. Because royalty on the earth is not that special when your family is still messed up. When you still catch diseases and you still get divorced and you still die. And one day your kingdom is guaranteed to collapse to the ground. Because it is. But there is a royal family that matters for the rest of eternity. And yes, we're still a little messed up. But we're becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a word we call sanctified. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. Less and less like the world and more like the king of glory. So he says in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul wants us to understand something today, something profound, that since we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, we are no longer strangers and aliens and Gentiles and sinners or enemies of God, no longer. We are citizens and family members with the apostles. Apostle Paul being one. The apostle Paul is my brother, and he's your brother as well. And the prophets. And every prominent Christian that ever lived, we are brothers and sisters with every prominent Christian and follower of Jesus because we're inside the family of God. And the family of God is the only true royalty that exists meaning you and I are going to be the envy of all eternity. One day we're going to be famous. And no one will ever stop talking about us for the rest of time because we're royalty. Now, I have seven children. You guys know that. We just had our seventh child a little while ago. And although our life is crazy in a circus at times, every single one of my children are incredibly special to my wife and I. Every one of them. We think about them. We pray for them. We feed them. We clothe them. We protect them. We take care of their needs. We spend time with them. We laugh with them. We discipline them. We watch them grow. We take pictures of them. We thank the Lord for them. And we cherish every single one of them. Why? Because they're our family. They're our children. And I don't need a lot of convincing to love my own children. Now, the Apostle Paul was a special person, was he not? He must have been a favorite of God's. I mean, it's bad for parents to talk about having favorites, but Paul probably would have been one of those. A favorite of God. I mean, Paul, he did everything he possibly could for the kingdom of God, probably more than anyone ever did besides Jesus. So Paul's mansion in heaven has to be spectacular. His place at the banquet table has to be right next to Jesus. It has to be amazing. Because he's Paul. Well, I would say yes, that's true. It definitely is. But so is mine. And so is yours. Why is that? Because we accomplished as much as Paul? No, that's not why. It's because we're God's children. It's that simple. We're his children. And every single child of God means everything to God. He went to such degrees 
to adopt you into his family, that he spilled the blood of his only begotten son in order to have you. And now that we are the children of God, he gives us the exact same love that he gives to the Apostle Paul. He gives us the exact same love that he gives to Jesus. That's what it says in John 15, 9. He loves us like he loves Jesus. Now let that hit you for a moment. Jesus and God have the most amazing relationship, and so do you because you're with Jesus. God is not ashamed that he adopts us. God is not coy about calling us his children. He dotes on us. He cherishes us. We are precious to God. Do you know that? God dotes on us. He cherishes us. We are precious to God because he adopted us and he loves us and he spilled the blood of Christ to get us. If someone asked me who my children are, I don't mention my top three favorite and forget about the other four. I mention them all by name. I know their birthdays. You can test me. I know their likes and their dislikes. I know what makes them laugh. I know what makes them cry. I know their favorite foods. I know their favorite toys. I know their strengths and I know their weaknesses. I know how to love them very specifically, every one of them. And all of them have my entire heart. And I would even say this, I would die for every single one of my children. That shouldn't shock you. Every parent should be able to say that. I pride myself on being a good father, but you know what? I am not the heavenly father. I'm not even close. Can you imagine the sort of love that God has for his children? Think about it. Can you imagine to what lengths he would go to take care of you? He died for you. He can't say, I I would die for you. He can say, I did die for you. I did. If you follow Jesus Christ, you are God's child, and he would go to every length imaginable to love you. And he has. He has. Not only that, but you don't have to wait to experience the amazing family and royalty that we're speaking about today. You have it right now. I want you to look around you at the tables and chairs next to you. This is our family. It's a royal family. Now, do we look like royalty today? Probably not because we have food on our shirts and stuff like that. We don't look quite royal today, but we are. We are royalty. We started as filthy slinners. What's that? We forgot our hats. Yeah, we forgot the hats. We'll get the hats next time. But we started as sinners, but we've been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus. And now we're brothers and sisters and children of God forever. And that's the point of the church. You're not just some person that I know or someone I go to church with. You're my sibling. I don't have anyone closer to me in the entire world than you people here today. And I mean that. I love you guys like close brothers and sisters. I don't belong to the world. Neither do you. They don't love me and I don't love them. Not with brotherly love. But every single one of you who has been adopted by the Father, we've all been brought near by the blood of Christ and I will be your brother for the rest of eternity. I'm sorry, but it's a reality. You can't get rid of me. See, the word church, it needs to become special to us again because we weren't supposed to be here. Did you know that? We weren't supposed to be here. We were losers. We were filthy Gentile sinners. We were enemies of God. We were hopeless and homeless. We were aliens to the promises of God. Our family, the family of God, is special. 
And it should be special to be together and to share a meal together and to listen to the word of God together because we have everything in common. Everything. We were all sinners. The Lord Jesus died for every single one of us. We now have hope in heaven and while the rest of the world does not. We are royalty and it will never change as long as we stay near Jesus. Pastor Mel and I and your church want the church to be special to you again. Special. In America, the church has become a chore that you do once or twice a week. It's a place that you have to go to keep the anger of God at bay or it's become a necessary evil that we must do in our lives so we can stay on God's good side. The church has become something to dodge and to avoid whenever we have the chance to do so. It's a reality. When this happens, when the church becomes a chore, we don't get it. We don't get it. The church is eternal royalty. It's the safest place there is from the dangers of Satan and sin and because it's the place where Jesus is. It's where Jesus is. In fact, I would say this. Don't come to church because Pastor Todd is here, Pastor Mel is here, or your brothers and sisters are here. Don't come primarily for that. That's a good reason. But come primarily because this is where Jesus is. Now, I want you to think about that. I've said this before, but imagine if Jesus physically upon the earth was coming to Wyoming Valley Church on April 18th, 2021, and you knew that and you heard that and you said in your mind, I have the sniffles. Or, oh, I really didn't sleep well last night. I would love to see Jesus, but I got a lot going on on Monday. I probably should stay back and take a nap or get my chores in order. Would that make sense at all if Jesus physically stopped by Wyoming Valley Church today and said, I will meet with you today? Every one of us who has two working brain cells would say, I'm getting there, no matter what. I don't usually pound the pulpit like that, but felt appropriate. I'm getting there because Jesus is there, right? The church is our family, guys. The church is our support system. It's our allies, our brothers and sisters. It's our spiritual stronghold. The church is our safety. When you're with the church, you belong, and you're accepted. We started as sinners, but in the church, there's to be no condemnation. Only love, only help, and only support. Please, Lord, let us start seeing the church as something beautiful and a privilege once again, because it is a privilege. This is our family, and we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Cherish the church. Invest in the church. Support the church and find your best home in the church. And I know some of you do already. The church is your family, and the church is immensely loved by your God. Our application today, before we close, is very simple. Have you been brought near by the blood of Christ? I can't assume that in your life, but I need to ask it. Have you been brought near by the blood of Christ? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus? If you have, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, and you are near today. Number two is, are you investing in your family are you investing in your family, the church? Because this is an eternal investment. It's a privilege that we were once far off and now we've been brought near. 
And I hope you see it that way. I hope that if you're here, you're all in for Jesus and you're all in for his church. And you would say today, it's a privilege. And I'm going to invest my talents, my time, my support, my energy, my love, my money, everything I have to the church of Jesus. Because without it, I would be far off. I would be a stranger. I would be an alien. And I would be an enemy of God. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the church. We thank you for bringing us near when we were once far off. And I hope this lesson was powerful in their minds and hearts as it was in mine. And I pray that you'd help us understand today that there is no greater privilege than being with you in your presence and with your people, the royal family of God. May it be special to us again. May we drop everything we have in order to gather with the church. We love you and we thank you for this privilege. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In light of that, I want to encourage you all to church family time.